Welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast, episode 14. We have our um, hosts, Christine and Jaden. Hi. And we also have our podcast uh, expert and backbone of our outreach program for the podcast, Dean. Hello. And I myself am Ian. And so we're going to start with uh, just a quick introduction of who Dean is and what he does with us and how he joined. So Dean, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, um, I guess I originally joined War Elephant quite a while ago. Uh, it was actually him who suggested I join it. So I- Yeah. How long ago was that? That was a long time ago. It's gotta be well over a year ago. Yeah. Um, a year and a half or so. Uh, just kind of came up in conversation. He invited me to the um, Discord might have even been longer than that because I started following him on Quora even longer yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, but I never really got into any of the teams or anything until just recently. Uh, I joined the data team, and then from there, it kind of joined the website, the podcast, and here I am helping you guys. So, <laughs> trying to help get the podcast out to as many people, expand the audience, make sure all the episodes get up and yeah, help out where I can basically. We really appreciate all of your work and you've really discovered do. exactly what happens at War Elephant is if you're willing, we'll give you a lot of hats. <laughs> um, and what kinds of things um, kind of engage you on a philosoph philosophical and political nature? Like what, what, what issues do you like? Um, I am not, I guess, super decided when it comes to political stances. Um, I tend to, not really sure the best way to lean, lean, lean. describe this. Um, I can't really say I've found my political identity. If, that's the best way to put it. Um, I kind of pick whatever I feel is the best, or that, I, I don't know how to describe this. <laughs> no, it's totally okay to be to be learning and, and seeking. I mean, that's why we created a Discord uh, community, not because we wanted everyone to agree with us, but because we wanted places where people could ask questions and learn from people who had more experience in specific areas. Yep. So um, I hope that you've been able to have some conversations like that on the Discord or on Quora. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to have some. I've been extremely busy with other parts of my life, um, but I'm hoping sometime soon we can. But um, no, college is busy. Um, looking to major in uh, network security. Ooh, so, that's a great field. Yes. <laughs> it's something I've been passionate about for many years and something I really enjoy. So yeah, I guess, I don't know how much. Anything else you want to know about me, I guess? No, that's uh, that's enough that unless you wish to share okay. more and of course, 
Uh, I just wanted to sort of highlight you, and Jaden suggested that you might want to join since you've been doing all the hard work of getting the podcasts <laughs> sent out to different platforms. Yep. Um, yeah, so let's get started with our first uh, topic, which is the presidential transition. We have a couple of links. Um, the first is to Andy McCarthy on National Review Online talking about the position of many conservatives, both uh, elected officials and uh, people like us who have, uh, you know, chosen to vote or support or any other type of connection to uh, President Trump's campaign and his efforts to uh, maintain his position. Um, Andy McCarthy was one of President Trump's most energetic defenders while still being one of the most honest men writing about politics for four years. Uh, his commentary on the Mueller probe and on the elections and just the Trump presidency in general has been really impressive, both because it's very clear that he supports the president, um, but also because he is unwilling to be anything but as honest as he can. So I, I strongly recommend just following his columns at National Review and anywhere else he writes. Um, but I think he, he's made it pretty clear that there's no legitimate um, pathway at this point um, for Trump to remain president past uh, the, the inauguration date. Um, and this comes to our second link, which is a transcript of uh, President Trump's call uh, with the Georgia elected officials and election commission, I believe, um, in which he said things that at the very least were very, I'll say very unwise. Um, I have not had a chance to listen or read the entire transcript. It's a very, very long phone call. Um, I fully believe that several things are pulled out of context to make him look as bad as possible. That being said, President Trump does not need much help to make himself look bad as possible. So, yeah, Christine, you, you've been talking a bit about this um, as we're preparing. So can you sort of give us a, a launching point for this discussion? Okay, so the I went and read actually about what the Secretary of State had said. And that was that he'd already had conversations with Donald Trump and his people had. And what would happen is that they would say, he would say, the president would say one thing on the phone call and then come out and tweet or publicly release a completely opposite statement for what had been said. And uh, the, so the secretary of state was extremely frustrated with this and he needed, he felt an official record of what was going on. Um, so he recorded, he started recording conversations with the president and this one occurred and the president basically reiterated a whole bunch of different theories for why he didn't win. Uh, theories that are fairly broad, broadly spread around on, on social media and in right-wing sites right now. Uh, ideas that there were massive numbers of dead people voting in Georgia, um, a theory that the voting machines had been taken out by Dominion and destroyed. Uh, another theory that he floated was that 
one election worker had somehow replaced thousands and thousands of votes using a single suitcase. Uh, there were some details that were very confused about between what happened in Pennsylvania or Michigan. And, and Trump just kind of lumped them all into saying they all happened in Georgia. So it was a very rambling talk. And the Secretary of State just, he didn't, he didn't confront him. He just kept repeating his position. You know, I understand you feel this, Mr. President, but we believe we had a fair, fair election. We do believe we had a fair election. And the president just got well, very frustrated with this. Oh, so, so you're you're reporting. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm letting you know kind of so you don't have to watch an hour of this. It's, it's, or listen to an hour of this is kind of painful to listen to. Um the the president got frustrated with what he was hearing. And and he comes down to, well, if you're a Republican, you would support a fair election. And the secretary says, no. We, we, we believe we had a fair election, you know. And finally, President says this, this off-the-cuff mark that is just classic Trump. It's open mouth, insert foot. Uh, he, he doesn't need help committing suicide. He, he goes, well, all I need is, and he gives 11,000 however many votes it was, which is one more than they have. And we believe we have the votes. So you need to find me this many votes. And uh, the, the Secretary of State dodges this and says, well, you know, these are the votes. We've counted them. They're accurate. And this is the statement that's getting a lot of attention. And it certainly wasn't a good statement to make. But it, it came after scrolling through all these various different theories that by and large have been debunked at this point. So I'm mostly, I mean, I think my comments about Andy McCarthy's articles have made it clear where I, where I stand on this. Um, I think that what I would say is that I think this election for president um, was no more or less um, irregular than any of the other elections that I've watched. And I would point to the election of 2000 for uh, an election that I think was extremely irregular. Um, not that I think, to, to be clear, this is not me siding with who I think are lunatic conspiracy fringes on the other side saying that George W. Bush did not win. I think he did. Um, but there was a lot of irregularities in Florida. Um, yeah. Just the, the infrastructure. So I think that there have been irregularities all my life, certainly, um, probably for the entirety of voting. I mean, there's just so many people that there's always going to be irregularities. So I'm not saying this was some kind of perfect election where there was no fraud whatsoever. But I think in general, the fraud sort of cancel each other out. The frauds and irregularities and all the people, I, I don't think that it was um, in any way unrepresentative. Um, that being said, I do think that the way um, both the social media tech giants and uh, the media itself handled specific topics, um, Hunter Biden and his connections to Joe Biden, um, uh, there's a couple others, but there, there's things that they very specifically did um, 
consciously in the weeks leading up to the election that I think were very much dishonest and I would say unfair. That is not the same as tampering with votes or not counting votes or making up votes. I think it is troubling, but it's also something that we've had to deal with since at least 2000. I mean, I remember watching all the coverage of President George W. Bush uh, and then President Obama's two uh, opponents, John McCain and Mitt Romney. I think that this is, again, nothing new. I don't like it. Um, I think it is unfair, but not uh, fraud or, or stealing. So that's my take on the election. You, you don't remember Bush Sr. and the way they absolutely eviscerated him, but I do. And uh, so his vice president, Dan Quayle, was everyone's favorite whipping boy. So the media has been kind of biased, Trevor, but I've never seen the degree uh, that it's at now. Jaden, what are your thoughts on where the election is, Jaden? Well, I think Trump lost fair and square. There really wasn't anywhere or any way to put it other than that. Um, I find it really concerning that so many people are willing to throw away our election system just for prolonged power or... Um, or just keeping him the president just to prevent the Democrats. And I think that's a very dangerous path to go down because there will be a time. I, I would say the same thing if a Democrat tried the exact same thing. Um, there will be a time where it's so irrefutable that your president is so unpopular and your, your party will be so unpopular that you will be obliterated. And that's what exactly happened to the, um, the Federalist Party uh, back in the, the early years of our nation, it, yeah. uh, it it had some policies that were just so wildly unpopular that it just became politically infeasible to be part of the Federalist Party. And that's why the Democratic Party um, was basically unopposed for so many years. There was the Whig Party, of course, but it didn't do a whole lot. But I'm, I'm concerned that if, if we allow this path to keep going, we destroy the Republican Party and everything it stands for and then we'll experience another period where there is no opposition to a massive party. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of posts on social media um, about like creating a new Patriot party for, for people who believe that Trump won the election and only will vote for people who support Trump and, and, and will, will prevent the, the Republican swamp and the, the Democratic swamp from from stealing the election from Trump. And I find that's very dangerous because vote splitting like that will lead to very, um, very destructive presidents, leaders. Uh, I mean, just think, think about what happened in uh, 1912. Woodrow Wilson was elected because Roosevelt split votes. And then, uh, honestly- And then Wilson uh, resegregated <laughs> the White House and instituted the League of Nations and allowed the Treaty of Versailles to happen, even though he knew it was a terrible idea. Yep. It was I, his idea. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know it was a terrible I, idea. He believed in it. Yeah. He I, believed I that, that Versailles would cause World War II as it passed. Uh, but anyway, Woodrow Wilson is, in my opinion, the most downright evil man to ever become president. And... <laughs> 
I, I find it very concerning that so many people are willing to throw away our chance of preventing something like that from happening again just because they have this notion that the election was stolen. It, it wasn't. <laughs> every, every single argument that's been made about it being stolen has been debunked. Um, and I, I want to point out, it's been, it's been debunked not just by the people who want to see Trump lose. That's why I cited Andy McCarthy. He wants yeah. to see Trump win but he doesn't think he did. And that's what I think is important. You have people like AG Conservative on Twitter. We have- um, Well, look, uh, at the, look at the Joint Chiefs of Staff statement today. I mean, that was incredible to me because I cannot imagine several of those people or former secretaries of defense uh, serving under Republican administrations, including one of his, Trump's own, coming out against him you know, and with this strongly worded warning that just stunned me, to be honest. I, I don't know what to make of it. I wanted to uh, highlight some of our comments by Winston, who's one of our um, people. He was a guest on our last podcast and will hopefully join us again. He's got some really great thoughts, but I appreciate his historical notes on Woodrow Wilson. Um, and I think it just underlines that uh, Wilson was a craven and corrupt politician in all things. So thank you. I, I like I like that he verifies why we're having this disagreement in in nuance. Yes, that was great. But but the, what you brought up, Jaden, really important, and that is this idea that the Republican well, the Republican Party is in a big civil war right now, and and it's an existential crisis for the mm -hmm. Republican Party. And it's very interesting because when I follow people who are ardent supporters of Donald Trump on social media and actually just talk to them in real life, they have come to a point where they say anyone who doesn't support Donald Trump is a, what is the term? Rhino? Yes, Personal Republican in name only. And, which is stunning to me because the, at the same time, they're like, well, Donald Trump ran as an outsider and that's why we like him. And I'm like, well, pick, pick, you guys, you're either supporting outsider politics or, but, but at this point, it's fascinating. Populism and anger. That's, that's the yes. problem I have with the entire thing. And the thing is, I've said this for four years. I understand the anger that drives people to vote for Trump. I, I still remember award-winning authors writing an entire trilogy of novels about how George W. Bush was a Nazi. <laughs> That that's, that's unacceptable. I am still well, angry about this. So yeah. I don't well, I was, why people are angry. Yeah, and, and, and like popular shows uh, currently painting the current administration as Nazis. I, I believe, um, and I could be wrong because I don't watch much TV, but wasn't like that the whole premise of Man in the High Castle? I thought that Jake started Jake before Trump. You're going to check. That's probably a good idea because I'm not the person to ask what television. So it started in January 2015. So it, it, its origin is much earlier than even the Trump campaign. Um, but it's certainly almost every TV show shifted in 2017 to portraying their bad guys as some version of Trump. You saw it in Daredevil season three. And I love Daredevil season three, but it was very obvious that they decided to make kingpin trump because he used the same verbal tics um 
I think Man in the High Castle also did that. iZombie, a show I'd really enjoyed, just went full out. Anyone who is against um, any kind of immigration is a, a Nazi. Like, is it was a thing in popular culture, just making yeah. everyone this shallow version of conservatives. And again, it happened with President George W. Bush. Uh, Astro Boy had this Not incredibly... To this degree. <laughs> No, it's gotten really bad. I disagree. I think it really was. Um, I think there might have been a little more balance, but there were a lot of really lazy and nasty uh, portrayals of conservatives all the way through my my adult lifetime. Um, I wonder, Ian, because I wonder if that plays into why so many people who are really strongly supporting the president right now in his claims that the election was stolen. I wonder how many of them are influenced when they call everyone who disagrees with him establishment. And they, you hear a lot of criticism now about Bush. You hear criticism from Republicans about former Republicans. And I wonder how much of that has been played into by basically media priming to think negatively with these people in the first place. I think that the media cried wolf too often, um, which is not to say I think President Trump was a fascist or a Nazi, um, but he certainly did not have the character that candidate Romney, candidate McCain, or President George W. Bush did, who I think were very much trying not to be authoritarians. And we can talk about the Patriot Act, which I very much disagree with President Bush on that, but I will mention that President Obama re-upped the, the Patriot Act with all its teeth intact. So it's definitely with, not a... With huge support from Congress. From both, from sides, both sides of Congress. Um, so... Uh, so Ran, Ran and Ron Paul voters can can like sit here and go, we were against it before we were, it was cool. But, <laughs> but most of the representatives and senators were for it. <laughs> I, I was just going to say silence. Yes. Ian, uh, Ian, did we lose you? Uh, it looks like no, I'm just checking the comments. Okay. Uh, yeah. What so I was just going to point out that um, when we were talking about uh, Man in the High Castle, I haven't actually seen that. Um, and the reason why I was nodding was because um, after the election on social media, on Twitter and stuff like that, I've seen a lot of comparisons of Trump to that show. <laughs> Which is, I again, I haven't seen it. I didn't even know when it was um, made. Well, I mean, you could just mention things like um, Handmaid's Tale, which yeah, does that's the same thing all over the place. Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now, now I'm embarrassed I'm wearing red. <laughs> no, you should be proud. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I think we've sort no, of expressed... No, didn't the Handmaid's all dress up in those red robes? <laughs> well, you, you have to have a hood, so you have to be like, you know, like this. Oh. Let well, it they, like, be the fruit. White bonnets, I thought. <laughs> you should keep your hood up more often, Ian. That was a cool look. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I did just finish watching The Mandalorian, so anyone who's oh. seen season two understands why I think that's funny. Um, I have not seen The Mandalorian. Don't spoil it. We haven't yet. Andrew. I am. Andrew. Andrew. 
Could you bring me the, the Baby Yoda? Oh, oh yeah. Baby Yoda. It's actually Funko Pop Yoda. Yeah, yeah. It's not Baby. Well, that's nice. It's surreal. I'm getting corrected. It's a Funko Pop Yoda that I can't tell the difference. It's not a baby. <laughs> no, he's I mean, right. They're trying to make Yoda it cute. It just looks Isn't ridiculous. The baby Yoda. Yes, this is cute. There. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> All right, where was I? Um, so I wanted to move to our second topic, which is um, intersectionality's latest encroachments. Um, we have a couple of things from the new Congress. Um, Nancy Pelosi was reelected as the Speaker of the House, and she decided to institute yet more wacky and stupid um, things. So she started with- Is there with a, a betting book on all the crazy things she'll come up with? Oh, no, I'll just read the bad That would require me to follow the insides and outs of the Congress. I'm sure there is, because a friend of mine from work was telling me you could bet on like the number of times that Trump will tweet in a given day, or the number of- <laughs> You can bet on anything from Washington. Anything that anyone does in Washington, you can bet on it. Well, this story would have been very interesting <laughs> to win if you'd bet on it. No, I'm sorry, Ian. <laughs> um, so we have uh, a package of rules which uh, attempts to eliminate gendered language from um, the official minutes of uh, Congress. And that means that you can't mm -hmm. talk about Husbands, wives, men, women, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, uh, or anything that is gendered. And I think that is intensely frustrating. Um, it's clearly an attempt to pave the way for things like the Equality Act, which are vicious attempts at instituting authoritarian um, anti-freedom uh, of thought, freedom of inquiry, um, on very contentious subjects and treating them as if they're settled. And I think that's really, really bad. Well, this is going to be really interesting when they try to discuss family policy. It's not going to be interesting. They're going to be happy because they've been trying to do this kind of thing forever. And they told us that we were saying it was a slippery slope back when a Bergerfell was passed. And I, I think that so it really isn't. Does does this mean we no longer have to declare our pronouns? <laughs> of course you have to, because that's signaling which team you're on, Christine. <laughs> and as a particularly dumb example of signaling, I just want to share a graphic that Christine found for us, which is showing that menu and women you, um, because uh, the the person who gave the prayer for the new session decided to say amen and a women at the end of his prayer, or should I say their yes. prayer? Because maybe they don't identify as a man. Um, well, I, I think he identifies as a man and as a clergy person for, if I recall right, the Methodist church. Unsurprising. My and, and he called on Methodist Buddha in his prayer. Led me to think very lowly on theology. Buddha. Uh, Buddha. Oh. He also called. He called on um, a whole bunch of different gods. <laughs> oh, it boy. was. It was entertaining. Yeah, entertaining to say the least. But anyway, um, I didn't. Just, just to be clear, yeah. Amen has nothing to do with man. 
it is it's Greek. It is it is a, a, <laughs> a language that has to do with saying so be it. It doesn't have so he be it. So it, it has nothing to do with sex or gender. It's just about saying the prayer is over. And so amen and a woman is profoundly ignorant. Now maybe he was trying to be funny, but it just makes him look dumb. No. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand how language really works. A lot of our language is made up of Latin and Greek roots, and they don't have the same um, root words that we use in our uh, in normal English, like what it was when uh, it was just the Anglo-Saxons in um, England. When the French invaded England, uh, they brought along all the French and Greek and, and Latin words, and it. English is just a mess because of it. <laughs> but yeah, like. Right, which is why we have manicure. And yep. Even though women are the ones who get them all, right? So obviously it should be women appear <laughs> under this logic. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, even though it has to do with Manny as in uh, hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the woman abroad set. For, for you science nerds out there, instead of a Mandelbrot set, I'm well, getting the strangest looks from people Greek, here. <laughs> if we're going into Greek, wouldn't it be Anthropos for the male human, or is that hu people in general? Don't even get her started. That's people in general, but Anthro is considered. Uh, I think it is gender neutral because you have Andro for men, right? Okay. Right. So men anyway. have androgens. Right. So I wanted to move and, and, on to our last piece in this intersectionality um, thing, which is something that's very um, is very important to me personally as a former English professor and as uh, just someone who loves uh, reading and understanding tradition. Uh, there's a movement right now called Disrupt Texts, and uh, they've gotten very polished. And... Um, Nicholas they're, they're very, yeah, I would say they're very powerful because you see them, and I say they're powerful more as a meme, as a, as a mind virus than necessarily as some kind of centralized organization because you see all these local teachers saying that they're succeeding in disrupting texts, uh, which to be clear, when you say disrupt texts, that means either you are refusing to teach texts, or you are teaching the texts as examples of evil, moral wrongness. And the people they're trying to disrupt are um, people like Homer, uh, Shakespeare, um, basically anyone they can lump into the category of dead white straight males. Um, I'd and like Ian, to point it, you, you should point out that they are doing this, they usually do a Mott and Bailey with it. So yeah. they come across and they say, well, we want to teach, we want to make room to teach more ethnic diverse and modern writers. So that's, that's what is sold to people. That's but the Bailey then that they everyone can agree with. No, that's yes, the Mott. Exactly. No, it is the Bailey. It's the Bailey everyone the, can agree that's with. That's the Mott. No, I think the Mott's the, and, the and land. And then, and then they well, then they they retreat back in. Yeah, they retreat into that. But what they're actually trying to do is remove this consciousness. So, so you have some examples. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Nicholas Christakis, who actually found himself canceled 
in this controversy, I think it was Harvard. I think he was like dean of students at Harvard. And there was a very famous video of a woman shrieking at him because he was defending freedom to dress in different Halloween costumes that they claimed were, um, I think this was a cultural appropriation thing, but it could actually be a sexualization thing. I'm not sure which, but he was canceled for attempting to protect freedom of expression. Um, and he's still trying to protect it. He, he posted about how Disrupt Text um, seems like it might actually be driven largely by uh, publishers and, I would say, uh, young adult um, literature wannabe trend makers. So these are, if you ever follow the young adult um, community, it's extremely poisonous. These people are fighting for scraps of of money because unfortunately publishing doesn't get you a lot of money unless you're at the very 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 top and young adults generally don't hit that unless you're hunger games or twilight and there's only two or three of those um so they're fighting for scraps of money and they're just viciously bullying each other and getting each other's contracts canceled and attempting to just ruin the lives of people who offend them in minor ways politically. Um, and so I think that's really given fuel to the fire of the disrupt text movement because what a lot of teachers and young adult want to be influencers are saying is that we should replace people like Homer, who most traditions are saying was a blind, so disabled, a uh, slave, so you know, definitely not one of those uh, overseers or people of power in the he wasn't very privileged. Yeah, he was not very privileged um, in all traditions. Now, we don't know if that's actually true, but the fact that we have a tradition that he was a blind, um, possibly slave or captive of war poet, um, partly based on a blind poet in the Odyssey, which is an example, by the way, of disabled representation, positively, um, the fact that we're trying to ban this because <laughs> he fits into this Western tradition of white men on top is stupid the greeks didn't think of well, themselves as white the idea of the they, they were more identifying with their cities of origin than any kind of race and this is not a defense of greek culture i actually find the iliad and the odyssey extremely troubling if we were trying to take them as a model for our lives but i think they're also extremely beautiful and we can learn a lot from them so Disrupting texts in throwing out a disabled person or, um, you know, St. Augustine, who was probably partly African and, um, you know, he he's one of the most brilliant people of all history and throwing him out because he was some kind of straight white male is you lose so much. And I think that's the problem well, with this yeah. whole disrupt text thing. Ian, it's not just straight white males. I just saw this week that they want Helen Keller thrown out because oh, she's yes. a white who woman and privileged. Is a uh, blind Helen Keller, and deaf white woman, who founded the the uh, ACLU for crying out loud, and was extremely socialist in her politics, by the way. So there's no making there's no making these activists happy at all. They're they're out to literally tear down the system. Uh, and that's a theme that we hear repeatedly from 
people on the far left, you have to tear down the system. And our cultural traditions are just part of that system that simply has to go. I think there's a lot of concern about how much uh, doublespeak there is too. Um, I just sent um, a tweet in the chat here, if you want to pull that up, Ian, um, of a uh, public, public school teacher or administrator um, who threw out Homer's Odyssey from uh, their curriculum. Um, and it <laughs> that, that was back in, in June. And then last month she said that she didn't they didn't throw it away that they that they were absolutely not get, getting it out of there even though that they were saying that she was happy to have it removed it's it's a lot of double speak and it it's it's um gaslighting i guess you could say well there's there's a better term for it too um, well it's plain and simple lying yeah <laughs> that's there's a nice simple term and it, it's one it's of the things oh, go ahead yeah, I just I just find it absolutely ridiculous. Um, it, it was just baffling to see that kind of stuff, and, and a lot of people don't really realize that either. That there's there's um, a Mott and Bailey of arguments, and it's 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 constant, it's nonstop. Um, they they say that they're they're going to do this radical thing, and then they they uh, they get a reaction, and then people say, no, no, we're not actually doing that. We're doing this, which is just as bad, but we don't want to admit that, and it's ridiculous. Well, okay, so this goes back quite a ways, um, and, and especially what disturbs me is that one person, when one person raises the objection, the default has become, well, they must be virtuous and correct by raising this objection. You must accept that, and anyone who didn't or didn't see it is morally evil. And this is part of critical critical theory. This is how the ex acceptance of these critical theories has gotten so widespread is if you don't, if you're not on board with absolutely everything that somebody says when, when they have their position of outrage, then all of a sudden you are subject to being a target of that outrage. And I remember when we first saw the uh, cancellation stuff really starting to go big with the uh, attacks on Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hyene, at uh, their university out in Oregon. And I remember watching this and I said, this is really concerning because we're going to see this everywhere. And they were putting it on, on TV and, and, People are going, oh, no, it's it's just some crazy college kids. It's nobody, you know, that'll never happen in the real world. And I'm like, those crazy college kids are going to graduate and they're going to have positions of power. Well, now we're at a point where anybody can be canceled, anybody, at any time. And it doesn't matter how progressive you are. If you have read uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, she comes out and says that the worst offenders against social justice, and she's speaking particularly about racism, are well-meaning progressives. And so that actually should be taken as a note of caution by well-meaning progressives, that there is no actual moral purity that you can reach that is high enough for these standards. And so anyone speaking at any time could simply become a target of the next mob, and it's not just in literature. So I'm glad that we have um, 
I think we all recognize the dangers and the blatant dishonesty and the, the viciousness in this this movement. And I think we all say that we are. I think we've tried to demonstrate our commitment to hearing different voices and talking to people um, in different ways on this podcast. But this disrupt text movement is it, it's a it, it's a modern Bailey, as Christine noted. It's a lie. It sets up a noble goal that people agree with and uses it as cover to deceive the rest of the field with poison. And I think we need to be really aware of that. And uh, Winston has some really good comments here about uh, cancellation. And um, we shouldn't joke about this. This is serious. And this is educating the next generation. And and nobody here is saying that there shouldn't be uh, updates to the texts that are being taught or that they shouldn't be looking for new great authors or that, uh, as Christakis said in his tweet, he said that a lot of these uh, writers that are named as, you know, good replacements are fantastic writers and they should be read uh, like Walker and like Amy Tan and... Um, Gwendolyn Brooks, you know, but for crying out loud, I read all of these authors in college myself. This is not something new that people have just discovered. Uh, and I had a conversation with somebody in the generation before mine, and he read all these authors. He read Scott, he, or he read Baldwin, James Baldwin. And in, in the 1970s, you know, in college that it's, it, People seem to think they've just discovered diversity. And that's just not true. Well, I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much to um, Christine and Jaden, and a special thank you to Dean, who will be uploading this episode tomorrow. Um, yeah. Thank you for our commenters. I really appreciate all the comments that Winston and William thank you. have given. Um, and anyone who wants to write in, um, with comments afterwards, we'd be happy to look at as well. Um, and join the Discord. We have the link in our show notes. And um, give us a, a thumbs up and a subscription if you want to be notified when we have uh, further streams. We try to do it every Monday night at 7 o'clock um, or thereabouts. Sometimes we run a little late. But uh, uh, central standard time uh, for time zones. And... Yes, we can pin comments in the vid. It's a nice tool that this software that we're using allows us to use. So um, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you again next week for more War Elephant. Farewell. <laughs>